It's playoff basketball time, ladies and gentlemen. That's what we're talking about today here on this week's rendition of the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about playoff basketball. I'm going to go through each team, kind of give a breakdown of each team, that sort of thing. Maybe give some picks towards the end. We'll see what happens. We'll see how I'm feeling, even though nobody should be following my picks after the March Madness. Absolute debacle that that was, but... I'll give some picks. You know, I'm a brave boy, so I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna give some picks. We're gonna give some picks once we go through all the teams, and um, yeah, and then we'll wrap it up from there because it's playoff time. That's the big story in the uh, in the league right now, or excuse me, in in the sports world really right now. Um, baseball did get underway this past week. There were a couple cool storylines. Seiya Suzuki got his first uh, first game under the, his belt. The Japanese superstar from Japan, obviously, came over and uh, he's got two home runs on his belt now. Three, maybe I think. I think he had a two home run game. Uh, the other day, um, some other storylines, Buxton, Byron Buxton hit one of the longest home runs we've ever seen in our lives. He almost sent one out of uh, the Twin Stadium, I can't remember, uh, Target Field, that's the name of it, at Target Field. That one was incredible. He launched that ball. I've never seen a ball hit harder in my entire life. And then uh, Brett Phillips doing his thing as a uh, as a uh, position player pitching. That was a ton of fun. If you haven't seen the viral clip of that, him doing his thing, he's hilarious. He's great for baseball, and he's a ton of fun to watch. Just in general, even though he, you know, he's not the greatest outfielder in the world, he's still a ton of fun to watch. Um, just because he enjoys the game, he enjoys playing, it, and he likes to make people happy. Them, uh, you know, make people happy watching him play the game. So he's a blast to watch. So Brett Phillips, shout out to Brett Phillips. He's probably not watching or listening to us or my podcast, but I watch him play. So there you go. He's fun to watch. Um, also, some other storylines: the Rockies took two of three against the Dodgers. That was impressive. And then they finally got a two game sweep of the Rangers. You know, they started off pretty, uh, pretty solid. Who would have saw that coming? Uh, Randall Gritchick of the Rockies already has arguably the catch of the year um, against the Rangers. The other day, he robbed Corey Seager of a three run home run. That would have gave the, uh, the Rangers the lead and Randall Gritchick, probably the catch of the year already. It's an incredible clip. If you haven't seen that, go look it up. It's a uh, crazy clip. Crazy, uh, crazy play in one of the more difficult fields to play in, uh, especially in center field um, to play defense. in. so props to Randall Gritchick and the Rockies, you know, getting off to a better start than maybe we expected, especially against the the Dodgers and the improved Rangers. We'll see how long they uh, kind of keep it going. But, you know, shout out to the Rockies. Good start. Good start for them. Maybe uh, better than some people expected. So um, we're going to get into the actual topics at hand here. First off, we're going to start with the Masters. We're going to round that out. Scotty Schreffler, excuse me, Scotty Scheffler wins the Master with a 10-under final score, two shots ahead of Roy McIlroy and five shots ahead of both Shane Lowry and Cameron Smith. Uh, Scheffler has now won, he he has now won three of his last five tournaments and is now the newly anointed number one player in the world. But nobody, nobody was watching this for Scotty Scheffler. Sorry, Scotty Scheffler. Congrats to you. Great, great win, the Masters. You get the green jacket, you get to go play at Augusta for the rest of your life. Congrats to you, but nobody was watching for Scotty Scheffler, okay? And anybody that says they were, they're lying to you. You know what they were watching for? Tiger Woods. Everybody wanted to see Tiger. He came back after uh, he got into that car accident back in February of 2021 where he nearly lost his right leg. Uh, it was nearly had to be amputated amputated because of that car accident. And um, whatever, a, mu- a year later, a year and some change later, year and a month later, here he is. He's back at Augusta. His home course is like, as they like to say, and um, he's playing in the Masters again. Truly a crazy comeback. He didn't finish that great. Finished 13 above above par. Um, so, you know, not a great finish. But the fact that he's even playing after that insane car wreck that he was in, that single car, that single car, car wreck that he was in just a year and a year and a month later is is truly a uh, 
incredible task. Just when everybody thought Tiger Woods couldn't do anything more to surprise us, he does something like this. And, you know, who would have thought? And, um, you know, he's still only two years. I think it was 2019, if I remember correctly. 2019, he won the Masters there. So who knows? Maybe he's got another one in him. Well, I hope he does. I want him to catch uh, Jack Nicholas just for, you know, because for most of the people that watch the sport, you know, say he is the greatest to ever play that game, the game of golf. So I would like him to actually have the numbers to back it up, which would be, you know, catching, catching Jack Nicholas, the golden bear, but we'll see what happens. Um, I'm, you know, everybody was pretty proud of him for coming back in the way he did, even though he finished 13 above, not great. Like I said, the fact that he was even playing, um, is incredible. So congrats to uh, Scotty Scheffler, but Tiger Woods, it's good to see him back there. Some other notable finishes, Dustin Johnson finished uh, one above par, the defending champion, Hideki Matsuyama finished two above par, Patrick Reed finished six above, and uh, yeah, like I said, Tiger Woods 13 above at the end of the Masters on Sunday. Now, moving on to NBA playoffs, it's NBA playoff time. The Cleveland Cavaliers took on the uh, the uh, Brooklyn Nets yesterday. And uh, that was the first game of the play-in tournament in the Eastern Conference. And uh, the Cavaliers fell to the Nets in that one. It was a final score of 115-108. In that game, Kyrie Irving went off. Both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant went off. uh, But mainly Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving, he finished with 34 points, uh, 12 assists, 3 rebounds, and 42 minutes played. A fantastic game. He also had an incredible night shooting the ball as well. Um, I believe he was 11 or 12 of 15 shooting, which is crazy. Not to mention, throw it on top of, he was 12 of 15 shooting, not to mention he's fasting for Ramadan. So he didn't have anything to eat or drink that day until the sunset in New York, which was, I don't remember what time specifically, but it was during a, you know, during a timeout or something like that, where he finally was able to get some fluids in him and then uh, take a couple bites of like a power bar or something, even though that's not really how hydration or nutrition works. Um, crazy, uh, fasting for Ramadan and then still dropping 34 points on 12 of 15 shooting and, uh, three of six from three point line and seven of seven from the free throw line. Kevin Durant also had 25 points. Um, he went nine for 16 from shooting and uh, one of two from three he also had three blocks and two steals. Great defensive effort from Kevin Durant. Not something we're typically used to seeing. And he also had 11 assists on the day as well on and uh, six of six from six of six from the free throw line, uh, as well. So the Cavs will now play. The winner of the 9-10 matchup in the play-in tournament in the East. The 9-10 happens Wednesday night. That matchup happens Wednesday night. And uh, we'll figure out who the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to play in their elimination game to get the 8 seed for the East. Um, so I'll break down the Cavs first because I'll go through. I'll go down to the Nets and talk more about the Nets when they take on um, and talk about their matchup with Boston. But uh, as for the Cavaliers first, they have dramatically exceeded expectations this season. They had a preseason over under of 26 and a half wins and uh, they finished with a 44 and 38 record. Their first 500 season uh, since LeBron James left for LA back in the summer of 2018. They have a front court of three players taller than six foot 10 and Jared Allen, Lori Markinen, and rookie Evan Mobley. Mobley is the odds on favorite to win rookie of the year as well. Jared Allen missed the game last night against Brooklyn um, which was a big loss for them. The uh, the Nets were kind of able to kind of get a lot of uh, a lot of stuff, basically whatever that not whatever they wanted, but a decent amount of their stuff inside the paint. And with Jared Allen, that makes it a lot more difficult. And Jared Allen, if he was there, revenge game that always is important. Um, but he should be back hopefully for this uh, this next series if they win the next game, uh, their next play in game. And um, you know, as an eight seed taking on a taking on the Heat, 
you know, don't give them a whole lot of uh, chance in that, but you know, they can make it interesting six games, maybe five, six games. Um, the, the Cavs have also outscored opponents with those three on the court, Allen marketing and Evan Mobley by 7.9 points per hundred possessions. Um, Allen and Mobley are one of arguably the best rim protecting duo in the NBA right now, holding opponents to just 60.5% field goal percentage in the restricted area. That is the league's lowest mark. Uh, throughout the entire NBA and Allen alone, Jared Allen alone holds opponents to shooting 51% inside of five feet as the nearest defender, which is fifth best among players at, uh, uh, contesting at least 200 attempts. So it'll be huge for them to get Jared Allen back if they can win this uh, extra play in game that they're going to have on uh, Wednesday. So we'll see what happens there. Um, another one led by Darius. They're led by Darius Garland offensively who was elected to his first all-star game this season. He had played in uh, 68 games, averaged 21.7 points per game. He's one of the league's best pick and roll maestros for sure. And can pull up from three as well as drive to the bucket and dish out assists to teammates. So he was kind of the leader of that team last night, even though they fell. Um, he was definitely the dominant man, 34 points, 13 to 24 shooting uh, five of six from the line. He also had five assists, two steals, um, but he did have six turnovers. So a little sloppy, but you know, Young kid, first time playing in the NBA, in the, uh, NBA playoffs, so that should get better. Um, the Cavaliers, the injury bug hit them pretty bad early and often. They lost guards Colin Sexton and Ricky Rubio um, to season-ending injuries. Jared Allen, again, fractured his finger on March 6th, and the Cavs went 7-11 after um, Allen got hurt. So, obviously, a huge part to that team. The number eight Clippers, the eight-seeded Clippers, quote-unquote, even though they're not the eight-seed yet, they're eight-seed in the standings. Uh, they took on the T-Wolves last night, and that was a fun game. More fun more fun of a game than uh, the previous one, the Cavs and the Nets game. But the Timberwolves walked away victorious 109-104. to It was very entertaining. Reggie Jackson comes back and beats his, not Reggie Jackson, excuse me, Patrick, Patrick Beverly comes back and beats um, his former team, the LA Clippers. But it was the Anthony Edwards show and D'Angelo Russell, Russell show for the Timberwolves on, on offense. Uh, Anthony Edwards, 20 years old. He is 20 years old. Anthony Edwards is 20 years old, and he dropped 30 points on 10 of 21 shooting, 5 of 11 from 3, 5 of 6 at the free throw line, 2 assists, 1 steal, 5 rebounds, and only uh, 2 turnovers. The guy's a stud, and again, 20 years old. He's 20. I am 4 years older than the guy that just dropped 30 points in a NBA play-in game to put the Timberwolves into the playoffs for the first time since... I believe Kevin Garnett was there, if I remember right. So the early 2000s, uh, truly incredible. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, he also had 29 points. He went 10 of 18 from shooting, 3 of 5 from 3, 6 of 8 from the free throw line. He had 6 assists, 5 rebounds, and just one turnover. He also had 3 steals, and he was plus 12 in uh, plus minus as well. So a huge game from both of them. Patrick Beverly in the revenge game of Yale. He only had 7 points, 11 rebounds, but he was big for them down the stretch defensively especially. He had a key steal in the last in the last few minutes um, that basically uh, didn't really seal it, but it kind of gave them the the heavy edge moving forward and then he got the rebound and the missed free throw that basically ended the game. So, it was fun to watch Patrick Beverly even though I'm not a Patrick Beverly fan. I'm a I'm a Thunder fan. And he basically ruined one of our chances to go to the finals because he hurt Russell Westbrook on a uh, on a uh, breach in attempt that was unnecessary. But I won't get into that. That's a whole other story. I won't talk about it. Not a huge Reggie Jackson fan, but, you know, it was cool to see him beat his old team. And he was super emotional afterwards. It was a little corny, to be honest with you. It was a planned game. They they you know won the game to get into the playoffs and they celebrated like they had just won the finals. So it was a little corny, but 
you know, it was good. To, it's good to see the Timberwolves back. The Minnesota fans have been uh, begging for a solid basketball team ever since Kevin Garnett left. And uh, it looks like they finally got one. They're uh, definitely up and coming to say the very least. Um, as for the Clippers, disappointing game for them. They had basically full control of this game all the way up until the fourth quarter. Um, Paul George, playoff P, looks like he's somewhat back, hopefully, quote unquote. He had 34 points, uh, 10 of 24 shooting, 6 of 12 from 3. He had 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 steals. He played pretty good. Um, nobody around him really played all that well. Reggie Jackson was good up until the fourth quarter as well. He was, I believe he went 0 for 7 in the fourth quarter. He had 17 points, though, 7 of 18 shooting, uh, 6 defensive rebounds, or 7 total rebounds. And uh, five assists in that game. He also had five turnovers, though. And I believe he had three turnovers in the fourth quarter alone. So kind of a disappointing game for Reggie Jackson. And it was really Paul George doing everything pretty much by himself offensively in that game. So that is the reason, more or less, why they lost. So the Clippers will now move into the play-in game again. They'll play on Thursday, I believe, against the loser of the Spurs and Pelicans play-in game, which is on Wednesday. Um, The Clippers' numbers have been skewed just a little bit this season. Uh, with their two biggest stars missing, mus- missing much of the season, excuse me, Paul George, he played 31 games this year towards the back half of the season, 24.3 points per game, and Kawhi Leonard hasn't played yet this season at all. Um, speaking of Leonard, though, a door isn't necessarily closed on his return during the playoffs, and that would make them a very scary uh, possible eight seed if they do get in. Um, he started an individual workout earlier in front of the media members on Tuesday, April 5th, so just about a week ago. And just working on jab step jumpers and, you know, for mid range and behind the arc and stuff like that. So nothing extreme, um, but they haven't ruled him out of the playoffs yet either. So who knows? Could be back. I don't know how much of a help it really would be, to be honest with you. Um, There's a big difference between being back and then being game ready. And I don't know how much, you know, working on jab steps, jab step jumpers from mid range and behind the arc really means you're game ready. But it is Kawhi. He's a freak. So. It would help them, I would think, just at the very least a little bit. So who knows? Would be a scary eight seed to have Kawhi and Paul George back uh, at full strength on the Clippers as an eight seed. Um, The Clippers love small ball in the postseason. That is a big thing that they love to do. They went small last season during the postseason, and they thrived with a lineup that could switch, disrupt, and create mismatches, and it ultimately would beat the Jazz in that that series. We'll get to that later. Um, Reggie Jackson, as I was talking about, disappointing last night. But he has carried the load for George and Leonard when they were gone, and it was huge in the run of their first conference finals last year, scoring 20 or more points in nine games. And uh, Jackson averaged 19.1 points per game and 5.8 assists per game in March. They have a 109.5 offensive rating, which is 25th in the NBA, a 109.5 defensive rating, which is 8th in the NBA, and a net rating of exactly zero, thanks to those numbers, which is 18th in the NBA. Moving on to the play-in games that are tonight. The ninth-seeded Hawks are taking on the 10th-seeded Hornets. The Hawks come in with one of the best offenses in the NBA, and their elite three-point shooting makes them a threat up against pretty much anyone. Uh, Hawks are The Hawks are second in the NBA in three-point percentage with 37.4%, and they have 10 players, 10, with at least 100 three-point attempts, and the worst among the group is uh, Timothy Luau Cabarro, I believe is how you say his name. Say his name which is uh, he shoots at 36.1% behind the arc. And that percentage, 36.1% is still better than 19 other NBA teams this season. However, the downside for them, their defense is terrible. They have the 26th ranked defensive rating with 113.7 points allowed per 100 possessions. The Hawks are uh, also bottom 10 in the league in opponent field goal percentage. 
at 47.1% and opponent three-point percentage as well at 36.4%. So they shoot a lot, make a lot of threes, can't defend anybody. So, you know, take that for what you will. They're led by Trey Young, stellar point guard, 76 games, 28.4 points per game this season. He became the second player in NBA history to lead the league in total points and total assists in an entire uh, NBA season. They have a 114, or excuse me, 115.4 offensive rating, which is second in the NBA. Uh, a 1.6 net rating, obviously the um, that defensive rating I gave earlier, 26th ranked in the NBA, 113.7 points allowed per 100 possessions, and that net rating comes out to a 1.6, which is 14th in the NBA. The Hornets, on the other hand, they were able to make it here thanks to a couple leaps made by their young stars. Lomelo Ball became the fourth youngest all-star in NBA history, trailing Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, and Magic Johnson, a stellar list to be on. He has been very solid for them this season and one of the better second-year players in the NBA. Uh, Miles Bridges and Terry Rozier also took a big step forward for this Hornets team. Bridges averaged 12.7 points per game last season. This season, he jumped all the way to the team's leading scorer with 20.2 points per game. And Rozier got red hot in March, averaging 21 points per game in that month and uh, 43% from the three-point line while shooting 97% from the foul line. They're also a very, very, very good passing team. They led the NBA in 28.1 assists per game as a team, which is uh, they ranked and they also ranked third in assist rate as a percentage of field goals made. And the Hornets had five players average at least three assists. Just three other teams um, had more than that in the NBA. Their offensive rating is a 113.6, which is eighth in the NBA, 113.1 defensive rating, which is 22nd in the NBA, and they have a 0.5 net rating which is 16th in the NBA over to the Western conference play in tournament or play in game for, to, for, uh, for Wednesday, uh, number nine Pelicans taking on the 10th, uh, the 10th seed at Spurs Pelicans made a big deadline acquisition at the trade deadline in CJ McCollum. He's played 24 games for them, averaged 24.3 points per game. And after a slow start with co-star Brandon Ingram, Ingram, who's at, who's played in 55 games, averaged 22.7 points per game. The two have discovered some chemistry. The Pels have a 116.9 offensive rating when those two are on the court, which is third best, uh, the thir- a third, which is third best rating on this team uh, among two man lineups with at least 200, uh, 200 minutes. They're a very bad shooting uh, three point shooting team, though. They rank dead last in three pointers made and 27th in three point percentage at 33.2%. And the only other playoff team in the bottom 10 to three point percentage is Dallas. They have a 111.2 offensive rating, 19th in the NBA a 112 defensive rating, which is 18th in the NBA, and a negative 0.8 net rating, which is 21st in the NBA. That is a tough draw for either one of these teams, especially the Pelicans, to get um, the Clippers. Whoever wins here, they have to go play the Clippers to try to get the 8th seed, and uh, I don't give either one of these teams much of a chance. But moving on to the Spurs, they are led by first-time All-Star DeJounte Murray. He's played 68 games, 21.1 points per game. He became the first player in NBA history as well, to average 20 points, 9 assists, 8 rebounds, and 2 steals over an entire NBA season. The Spurs, as a team, they became the first team since 1970-1971 to have an assist-to-turnover ratio of 2.19, averaging 27.9 assists per game, second in the NBA, and 12.8 turnovers per game, which is the fewest in the NBA. So they pass the ball around, they make a lot of assists, and they do not turn the ball over. Of course they don't. It's Greg Popovich team. That's Greg Popovich's offense to a T. They don't turn the ball over and they pass the ball a lot. 
Welcome to Spurs basketball. Um, they have an offensive rating on the season of 111.9. That's 17th in the NBA, a 111.7 defensive rating, which is 16th in the NBA and a 0.2 net rating, which is 17th in the NBA. So moving on to the actual bracket here, we have the Phoenix Suns. We're just going to start with the, uh, we're going to start with the West side of the bread, the Western conference side of the, uh, of the bracket. Let me pull it up here first really quick. I forgot to do that. We're going to start with the one seed in the West and by far and away the best team in probably the NBA, the, uh, the Phoenix Suns, one seed in the West, best team, best team in Phoenix Suns history. I would say personally, you can argue with the teams of the early nineties, Charles Barkley, I believe Nate Archibald was on those teams as well. Um, uh, Danny Ainge was on those teams as well. You can argue with me there. I'll take an argument with those early 90s teams with Chuck. But this team looks like it's the best team in Phoenix since history. Phoenix has been far and away the best team in the NBA this season. They ran away with the league's best record. Eight games better than their closest challenger. I mean, it wasn't even close. They were 64-18 and 18 on the season. Wasn't even close. They're the best team. Uh, rating um, uh, record wise throughout the season. They're led by Devin Booker, who is having a super under the radar MVP season. He's not going to win it, but it is a fantastic season for the best player on the best team. He averages 26.8 points per game, five rebounds per game and 4.8 assists per game. Uh, Chris Paul, the savvy point guard veteran leader of this team um, other than Devin Booker, but this uh, Chris Paul, probably the more vocal leader on this team. If the Suns make it to a finals, uh, the finals this year, he would be the, just one of seven players age 37 or older to start any finals game since the NBA started tracking lineups back in 1970 and 1971. So Chris Paul, the savvy veteran, they're both, uh, both Devin Booker and Chris Paul, very, st- very good players. And they're also paired tripled with um, DeAndre Ayton, who's very good down low for them as well. Um, this is far and away the favorite to win the NBA championship. This team is, they're very good. They have a 114.2 offensive rating, which is fifth in the NBA. 106.8 defensive rating, which is third in the NBA and a 7.5 net rating. That is first in the NBA. It's hard to really argue against them being the best ton- team in the league and, you know, arguably the best team in Phoenix Suns history. So take that argument with what you will. I think it's the best team they've ever had. Even, even better than the Mari Stoudemire, Steve Nash teams, with Mark D'Antoni. This team is better than them. Bar none. Those teams could not defend. That's Mark D'Antoni. The offense is always good. Mark D'Antoni's teams can't defend anyone. So give me these team, this team over any of the, any Phoenix team in the history of Phoenix basketball. Moving on the number two Memphis Grizzlies will be taking on the number seven. Now, uh, Minnesota Timberwolves after last night's victory, Memphis is one of the most fun teams to watch in basketball. If you haven't watched a Memphis Grizzlies game, you are missing out. It is a hell of a ride. They're a ton of fun to watch. John Morant led. They're led by John Morant and he is one of the most fun players to watch in the league for sure. He's played in 57 games this season. He averaged 27.4 points per game. And uh, he's got a couple highlight reel uh, games. He caught a ball and shot a buzzer beater while he was still in the air. That was really cool. He probably has the dunk of the year over uh, Jakob Pertl. I believe is how you say his name against the Spurs. If you haven't seen that clip, go look it up because he destroys that man. And uh, sorry to Jakob Pertl. It's, it's sad that he died on that day. It's very unfortunate. I'm making a joke, by the way. He didn't die, but I'm just saying the dunk. Like, put him in his grave. He was... Insane. That dunk was insane. Um, moving on. They found one of the biggest steals in the 2020 draft, too. That has helped very much. Uh, Desmond Bain has become a primary option for them. 76 games, 18.2 points per game. He's one of the primary reasons they've also been able to go 20-5 and five when uh, John Morant was able was not able to play this season. 20-5 and five without without their best player is uh, 
That is no small feat. Uh, one of their young stars also, other than Desmond Bain, was able to stay healthy. Jaron Jackson Jr. had his first three years interrupted by knee injuries, uh, limiting him to just 11 games this season. He missed just three games this year, and he became a defensive player of the year candidate. They have a 114.3 offensive rating, fourth in the NBA, 108.9 defensive rating, which is sixth in the NBA, and a 5.3 net rating, which is fifth in the NBA. If you're going to watch a single team this season, I would implore you, or if you're going to watch any series this season, I would implore you to watch the Memphis Grizzlies because they are a blast. They also have Steven Adams, and as a Thunder fan, Steven Adams, that's my boy. This is not your uh, brother's Memphis Grizzlies, your older brother's Memphis Grizzlies. This is not grit and grind anymore, which was the Memphis Grizzlies of Zebo, Mark Gasol, Mike, uh, Mike Conley, and those guys. That's not this team. This team is high-flying. They shoot the ball well. They love to dunk the ball. They whip it around the court. They're a blast to watch. They play in transition. They're a ton of fun. Go watch the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, they'll be taking on the Minnesota Timberwolves. They have one of the Wolves have one of the best starting fives in the league. The lineup of Patrick Beverly, D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, Jared Vanderbilt, and Cat Carl Anthony Towns is one of the one of just seven lineups outscoring opponents by at least hundred points while on the court, according to NBA Advanced Stats. And we saw well. I was just going to say we saw a lot of that last night. We didn't. Carl Anthony Towns did not play well last night. And uh, he fouled out with like about seven minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. So we did not see a lot of that lineup last night. But it didn't matter. D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, Patrick Beverly, they all played really well, pretty well. And uh, Jared Vanderbilt was in there as well. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Hopefully they play better, especially Cat. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns really had a bad game on uh, on Tuesday night. So, Hopefully he plays better. He is already one of the best. Cat is already one of the best big sh- big men shooting the ball of all time. Uh, no no player taller than six foot ten has a better three point percentage than Towns is thirty nine point seven percent career percentage with more than fifty three point attempts. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki is a good argument. I won't fight you on that. But uh, if Towns can keep this uh, trajectory, then um, you'll probably surpass Towns when it comes to. Uh, th- uh, big man shooting the three-point ball. Um, they have a 113.8 offensive rating, sixth in the NBA, 111.0 defensive rating, which is 13th in the NBA, and a net rating of 2.7, which is 10th in the NBA. A pretty high net rating for a team that is uh, seventh in the uh, in the seeding here. So a pretty high net rating. Could upset the Grizzlies, who knows? I don't see it, though. I think Memphis is a little bit better. They play a little bit smarter, and they're a little bit stronger with the, uh, with the ball in their hands, and I trust John Morant with my life. So... I think I'm going to go Grizzlies there. But moving on, number three seeded Warriors are taking on the number six seeded hometown Denver Nuggets. This was supposed to be the year that the Golden State Warriors were back to being the Warriors of about three years ago with Klay Thompson coming back after sitting out the last two seasons due to injury. However, the day Klay Thompson came back this season, back in January, Draymond Green went out for two months with a back injury. And then when Green came back, Steph Curry sprained his foot. So the Warriors' big three shared the court for this season for 11 minutes, not really the reunion that they were probably looking for this season, but uh, if they all come back with full strength during the playoffs, I don't think they're really going to complain. That's going to be a very scary three seed and uh, they could compete with anybody in this league with that big three in the big threes absence though, with those guys out, they found another solid wing in Jordan Poole. He has played in both the two guard spot and the point guard spot and has excelled, especially at the point guard spot with Steph Curry out in March uh, he actually averaged 25.4 points, 4.9 assists, and 3.9 rebounds through 19 games in that month. Um, they're still an electric three-point shooting team. Of course, it's Golden State with a combination of Thompson, Poole, and Curry. It could present a problem for defenses, and uh, Manya Belitsa and uh, Otto Porter Jr. also provide a reliable um, 
a liable middle of the court that can spread the floor. And uh, Golden State is averaging still, Golden State is averaging still 14.3 threes made per game, which is third in the NBA. However, their defense has struggled more recently. They were the best defensive team in the league through the first three months of the season with a 102.2 defensive rating. Uh, when Draymond Green got hurt, their their best defensive player, um, when he got hurt, their defensive rating plummeted to 110.4. Still good enough for eighth, but definitely a slip. Um, we'll see if they can kind of get that all back together with the big three coming back out on the court. They have a 112.1 offensive rating, uh, which is 16th in the NBA, 106.6 defensive rating, that's second in the NBA, and they have a 5.5 net rating, which is fourth in the NBA this season. The Nuggets, the Denver Nuggets, hometown Denver Nuggets, they have the odds-on favorite MVP in Nikola Jokic. Basically a runaway at this point. If anybody thinks it's not Jokic, they're crazy. Uh, he's been playing better than he did last year when he did win the MVP. He became the first player in NBA history. First, He created his own record. He created his own record, scoring 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, and dishing out 5,000 assists in a single season. And his player efficiency rating of 32.92 set the league's all-time record. So he's literally arguably having the greatest season in the history of basketball. And um, there are people arguing that he shouldn't win the MVP madness. Um, it is possible though. Reinforcements may on the, may be on the way for Jokic and the nuggets. Uh, Jamal Murray tore his ACL almost a, exactly a year ago this week. He has been ramping up his activity and we will see if he can return. Michael Porter jr. Also could be on his way back after getting lumbar spine surgery back in early December. We'll see, though. It's all speculation. Kind of all these teams put that out. Just, you know, hey, watch out for us. You never know. That sort of thing during this time of the year. We'll see what happens. If not, if they don't get any of those guys back, the Warriors could win this in probably six games. They're not going to slow down Jokic, but I don't think the Nuggets have the um, the firepower around Jokic to really be able to hang with the uh, with the uh, Golden State Warriors. But we'll see. Hopefully, maybe they do get those reinforcements back. That'll be huge for them. And uh, maybe Jokic can just go even better than he has been already and become a god at basketball, even though he's already a god at basketball. Um, the Nuggets, they have a 113.7 offensive rating, which is 7th in the NBA, a 111.3 defensive rating. That's 15th in the NBA this season, and a 2.4 net rating, which is 11th in the NBA this season. And the last matchup we have here in the West, the four-seeded Mavs will be taking on the five-seeded Utah Jazz. The Mavericks have been led predominantly by Luka Doncic, Household name for the Dallas Mavericks. He leads the team in points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game, and steals per game. But it was announced just the other day, I believe it was over the weekend, that he would be missing at the very least part of the series with a calf strain that he suffered on the uh, the final game of the regular season for them. And they have no timetable for his return. A gigantic loss for the Mavericks. They do not stand a chance without uh, Luka Doncic playing in this game. The Jazz would beat this team probably in five, if not a sweep, if Luka Doncic is not playing in this series. They may have someone to partially pick up the slack with Doncic gone in Jalen Brunson. He played in 79 games. He averaged 19.2 points per game, 7.7 rebounds per game, and two assists per game. He missed the bubble playoffs in 2020 with an injury and had a disappointing postseason last year, and his playing time decreased over the course of their opening round series. Um, but he's played a lot better this year, and he's going into a contract season or a contract offseason which is always important for these guys to play out during those time during that time. Um, but it's not, I mean, he might be able to partially pick up the slack, but it's not going to fill the hole that, uh, that Luca is going to leave. If he's not going to be able to play the series, it's a gigantic loss for them. If Luca does not play um, the Mavs went from worst to first in clutch time efficiency during the season, 
They sat at a negative 34.5 points per 100 possessions after a February 2nd loss to Oklahoma City. Since then, though, they are an NBA best 41.6 in clutch net rating um, since that January, or excuse me, February 2nd loss to Oklahoma City. So they got a lot better in clutch time and they were terrible. Now they're the best team in clutch. So who knows? Uh, they were a solid team defensively at the beginning of the season, going 20 and 7 during the first two months, holding teams to uh, 105.7 points per 100 possessions during that span. However, they have slipped significantly since then with a defensive rating of 113.8 since March 1st. Part of that could probably be uh, they traded Chris Stapps Porzingis to the Wizards, I believe that's right. And uh, they got Spencer Denwitty back. Chris Stapps was a pretty decent defensive player, especially down low. And uh, that could be the reason for that slip since March 1st is Chris Stapps being gone and basically trading it out with a guard. They don't have a dominant big man down low to really defend the paint in the restricted area. So that could be part of that. Um, and we'll see how it holds up in the playoffs. But like I said, I, I'm being redundant here. But like I said, it cannot be stressed enough how big of a loss Luka Doncic is for the Mavs. If he's gone, this is probably a sweep or a five-game series. Um, the Jazz are just too good defensively to um, get beat by a team without a, you know, a primary superstar like Luka Doncic. And, um, they're, you know, they're good offensively too, uh, too good offensively to lose to a team like that without their primary superstar. So, um, but the Mavericks, they have a 112.5 offensive rating on the season. That's 14th in the NBA, a 109.1 defensive rating, which is seventh in the NBA and a net rating of 3.5. And that comes in at seventh in the NBA this season, Utah jazz, um, continuing with the Utah jazz here, they come into this matchup with one of the most dominant playoff scorers in NBA history period. Donovan Mitchell, he ranks fifth all-time in playoff points per game with 28.9 in a minimum of 25 games uh, over the course of, you know, playoffs um, behind only Kevin Durant among active players. They basically only play bigger lineups. They signed Rudy Gay and acquired Eric Pascal in hopes of having the option of a small ball lineup, but it has been terrible. Um, those small ball lineups have been god-awful. Uh, without without the, the lineups without a traditional center on them have been getting outscored 16.7 points per 100 possession in 440 minutes this season. That is really bad. Um, the Jazz also have a habit of blowing big leads. Utah last six games this season when they held a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter, uh, the most, which is the most in the league. And, of course, last year they blew a 25-point second-half lead to the Clippers in an, elimin in an elimination game. That was game six of last year's um, second round, I believe. And they lost, ended up losing in that game Um making the Clippers go to the conference finals. That has been a, uh, a, a this Quinn Scott, the Quinn Snyder coach teams have had a problem with blowing big leagues. That is something that they've done. Um, also something I'd like to point out. I didn't really write down here. Rudy Gay, not Rudy Gay. Sorry. Uh, Rudy Gobert. Um, he is a very solid defensive center, but in this league, I, he is so one dimensional. I mean, he's basically the, you know, I block shots down on in, on the inside. I can't play outside on the on the perimeter or anything like that. I'm not good enough, you know, guarding those point guards or, you know, shooting guards. He's too big for all that. Um, and he can basically be schemed out of an entire series. Teams have done that before relatively easily. Um, if you force him to play pick and roll and switch, put him on Curry and Curry is going to dice him up every single time. Um, I don't know how good it's going to be against Jokic. Jokic, obviously not a... Uh, guard or anything like that. Not Jokic, excuse me. Uh, Jalen Brunson, um, since Doncic isn't going. Yeah, I don't know how good they're going to be against Jalen Brunson, but that could be a cause for concern for the for the Jazz. Rudy Gobert 
is uh like I said, he can he can kind of be schemed out of uh out of a playoff series depending on what they do. So we'll see what happens. Um, this could also be the last time, a last dance of sorts, quote unquote, if you will, for this Jazz team. There has been tons of speculation throughout the league that anything but a deep playoff run could lead to drastic changes for the Jazz and the end of the Donovan Donovan Mitchell Rudy Gobert partnership. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. Donovan Mitchell, very solid player. There has been rumors going around though. He doesn't like to pass to Rudy Gobert. Take that with a grain of salt with what you will. Whatever. We'll see what happens. Donovan Mitchell, very solid player. I don't think Jazz fans would have a huge issue. I mean, if it were me personally, with Rudy Gobert leaving, he really can just get schemed out of a playoff series. You get seven games, or at the very least, you get four games to kind of plan around a guy like that. And as one-dimensional as Rudy Gobert is, it's not the most difficult thing in the world for them to find weaknesses in that game. Sorry, Jazz fans. I apologize. But that's just the way I look at it. Moving on. Eastern Conference time. The number one seed in the Eastern Conference goes to the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat are led by Jimmy Butler. 57 games, 21.4 points per game, 5.9 rebounds per game, and 5.5 assists per game this season. Not a great shooter from three. In fact, he's bad at shooting from three. Uh, but he dominates the mid-range and down low. He's very solid in those areas, in the restricted area. He's also very good defensively. They also have the runaway sixth man of the year favorite and Tyler Hero coming off the bench in 66 games this season. He's averaged 20.7 points per game, 5.0 rebounds per game, and 4.0 assists per game. He is the main reason that he were able to secure the one seed in the East, uh, especially offensively. And even though he averages less than Butler uh, in terms of points and um he is definitely the more complete scorer of the two, I would say. And um, not the better player. I wouldn't say he's the better player. Um, Jimmy Butler's definitely got the edge, especially defensively. But uh, Hero can light, he can light up a scoreboard. He did not play well last year in, in, the, in the series against Milwaukee, which was one of the big reasons why Miami got bounced. Milwaukee moved on. Um, but if he can play up to how he's played in the regular season, this Miami team is going to be hard to um, hard to bounce this year. Uh, with Hero as the headliner, they have the deepest team, probably the deepest team in the league, one through twelve. Max Struess is another name that has been a, a secret weapon, a secret weapon for them off the bench. He averaged ten point six points per game this season while shooting a scorching hot forty one percent from beyond the arc in three point land. So they're pretty deep. They also have Kyle Lowry, Victor Oladipo as well. A couple of pretty solid names. Just weird to think about. I don't. I don't think people, most people, realize that Kyle Lowry plays on the plays on the heat. Guess what? He plays on the heat. So does Victor Oladipo. He plays on the heat. I think he just dropped a four. Victor Oladipo just dropped a 40 piece at the end of the season on the last game of the year. So this seems very good. Uh, they need to figure some things out offensively, especially in clutch time and down in, you know, in the final five minutes of the game. But um, if they figure that out they're you know, they're right in the running. Um, they have a one thirteen point zero offensive rating on the season. That's 12th in the NBA, 108.4 defensive rating. That's fourth in the NBA and a 4.5 net rating. That is sixth in the NBA. They also have arguably the best coach in the game in Eric Spolstra. So you can never count them out because of that as well. Moving on to the next matchup here, the second seeded Celtics, Boston Celtics will be taking on the seven seeded uh, Brooklyn Nets who won on Tuesday. Boston has had an unreal turnaround since mid January. They went from basically a 500 team, uh, barely outscoring opponents before going to Washington on January 23rd. Since then, though, they have been the best team in the East, better than uh, better than Miami, um, outscoring opponents by more than 14 points per 100 possession uh, per 100 possessions while rocketing up the standings from battling for a spot in the play in tournament 
all the way to claiming home for home court advantage and the two seed in the playoffs. They did lose a huge piece though, just a few weeks ago, Robert Williams, the third, um, he has been a linchpin for the Boston's league leading defense, but he went down with a meniscus injury that had uh, that he had surgery on, on March 30th, that will require him to admit at least the first round of the playoffs. And without him, Boston will be leaning on a mix of Al Horford, Daniel Dice, and um, Grant Williams to hold the Ford down, but they're none of them, you know, Horford, Daniel Thice and Grant Williams um, are not nearly as good as Robert Williams, the third. And he also has a cool nickname, the time Lord. Very cool nickname. Uh, point guard, Marcus smart. Also on the Celtics is also leading the leading candidate to end the defensive player of the year domination by big men and could be the first point guard to win the award since Gary Payton back in 1996, the glove uh, smart has switched 422 times as the ball handler defender against on ball screens this season, third most in the NBA and the Celtics have allowed 0.89 points per chance on those plays and the league average is 0.95. So he is locking people down, especially in the pick and roll opportunities and pick and roll is the NBA's bread and butter when it comes to offense. Uh, they have a 113.6 offensive rating. That's ninth in the NBA this season. 106.2 defensive rating. That's first in the NBA and a 7.4 net rating. That is second in the NBA, just behind Phoenix, the Brooklyn Nets. They probably the biggest wild card this postseason. Um, nobody really knows who they could be or what they could be, but they've got two very, very good names. They're led by Kevin Durant, who played 55 games this season. He averaged 29.9 points per game and Kyrie Irving. We talked about him a little bit earlier. He played in 29 games this season, 27.4 points per game this season. They're led by those guys. And with those two people, they can go pretty much anywhere they want. They can go to the finals if they really put it together, but they need to improve on their defense. You know, probably get a couple pieces that kind of step up to the plate a little bit more um, offensively and defensively, to be honest. And um, they can make it to the finals if they really wanted to. But tough matchup with the Celtics. Celtics are, um, you know, up and down a better team, I would say, especially defensively. Um, they're a middle of the road defensive team started the season. Well, uh, the, this is the nets, by the way, they started the season. Well in the season with a one twelve point three defensive rating. That's 20th in the NBA. So Ben Simmons could be back in this game. Um, they got him, they acquired him from Philadelphia and, uh, at the trade deadline, we'll see what happens there. Uh, head coach Steve Nash said that the door is open for a potential debut later this postseason. But again, coaches, it feels like they just say that to make it and make people nervous to kind of, uh, mix the game plan around for opposing teams, especially on their defensive side of the ball. So they kind of got a plan for everything. Nobody knows that that's hundred percent except for Steve Nash. And he could just be laying that out there for the uh, Celtics to see it and be like, Oh, we got a plan for Ben Simmons. Nobody knows who knows if he'll be back. Probably not. He hasn't played all season um, and he has back issues. So I doubt, I doubt he's going to play in this, but you know, you never know if he, if he's out there, then the nets have a real chance to beat the Celtics and move on to the second round at the very least and possibly make a finals run. We'll see what happens. Um, moving on to the three versus six matchup. It is the three seeded bucks taking on the six seeded bulls. This is a very tough matchup for the bulls. They, they got a bad hand. Um, the defending NBA champs, Milwaukee bucks are once again, led by Giannis Antetokounmpo who put together another MVP type season. He played in 67 games, averaged 29.9 points per game, 11.6 rebounds per game, 5.8 assists per game, 1.4 blocks per game and 1.1 steals per game. Giannis got even better in crunch time too. He scored 528 points in 526 fourth quarter minutes. One of five players since 1996-1997 to average at least one point per fourth quarter minute. He also became the first player in the last 25 years to average at least eight points on 55% shooting in the fourth quarter during 
a single season. In just the fourth quarter alone, averaged eight points on 55% shooting. Another big name they also got back, Brooke Lopez. He came back just in time. He missed almost the entire season this year, playing in just 11 games thanks to a uh, back problem. I believe he had back surgery as well. But he has come back as the rim protector of the Bucks. Remember, holding opponents to just 12 for 40 shooting at the rim. The defense slipped a little bit this season for the Bucks. Obviously, Brooke Lopez missing time was a big part of that. Um, but they did fall outside the top 10 for the first time in four years since Mike Budenholzer became the head coach. However, last season during that championship run, the uh, the Bucks defense went from ninth in defensive defensive efficiency during the regular season to first during the playoffs. So history is on their side. They can just turn it around like they did last year, and they're right back in the right back in the uh, conversation for another finals run. Uh, they have a one fourteen point three offensive rating, third in the NBA. A uh, 111.1 defensive rating that's 14th in the NBA and a 3.2 net rating that comes in at 8th in the NBA. The Bulls are led by the duo of DeMar DeRozan. DeRozan's averaged, uh, he played 76 games this year. He averaged 27.9 points per game, 5.2 rebounds per game, and 4.9 assists per game. Zach Levine, he played in 67 games this year, 24.4 points per game, 4.6 rebounds per game, and 4.5 assists per game. DeRozan, DeMar DeRozan has become a clutch star, though. This season, he scored uh, he scored 157 points on 53.5% shooting in the final five minutes of the fourth quarter in overtime with the score within five points, becoming only the fourth player in the last 10 years to pull that off. Uh, they, have, they have some big red flags, though. The Bulls have some big red flags. They couldn't beat the East's best teams, finishing 1-14 against the top four teams in the conference this year, the second-worst winning percentage by a playoff team against the top four in the conference. Since 1984, the only team, the only other team that did worse than them was the 2019-2020 uh, uh, Orlando Magic. They went 0-15 on the season against the East's best. But the Bulls, 1-14 this season against the top four teams in their conference. They have also been bad at shooting threes as well and defending against them, especially in the second half of the season. They were good at the beginning of the season. They took a f- the, fewer, the fewest three-pointers in the NBA this season, and they were first in efficiency in that, in that uh, percentage-wise in that uh, uh, behind the arc. Um, but after the All-Star break, they ranked 23rd in three-point percentage. And defensively, the Bulls have dropped from 10th in the league at defending the three down to 23rd since January 1st. Moving on to the 4-5 matchup. Number four seeded Philadelphia will be going to take on, well, I guess they'll be at home to take on the fifth seeded Toronto Raptors. Uh, Philadelphia has one of the best pairings in the NBA with Joel Embiid. He played 68 games, averaged 30.6 points per game, 11.7 rebounds per game, 4.2 assists per game, and 1.5 blocks per game, as well as 1.1 steals per game. They also have James Harden, who played in 21 games for them. He averaged 21.0 points per game, 7 rebounds a game, 10.5 assists per game, and about 1.2 steals per game. The Sixers have outscored teams 15.9 points per 100 possession with both of them on the court since acquiring Harden at the trade deadline from Brooklyn. That's the second best mark among NBA duos with at least 600 minutes played, uh, 600 minutes played together. They do not mess mess around when those two are on the court. They are very boring to watch, to be honest with you. Um, If there was one team, I said the Memphis Grizzlies were one team I'd want you to watch. If I told you to watch an NBA team, uh, the Sixers are probably one team I wouldn't want you to watch because they are very boring. Unless you miss the good old days, quote unquote, of basketball where you basically win at the free throw line. That is this team. Uh, They get to the line an ungodly amount and they shoot a lot of free throws and they make a lot of free throws. That is how they play this game. Um, That that's just, I'm being honest with you. Sorry, Sixers fans. Don't come at me, Philly. I know you're a little aggressive. Chill out. 
That's just kind of how they play the game. Nothing wrong with that. It's just a little boring to watch. No big deal. Uh, in that ma- in the massive deal that sent Harden to Philly and Ben Simmons to Brooklyn, Tyrese Maxey has emerged as a huge bright spot for the Sixers, though. Kind of a third man in the big three. Um, while Simmons was out for the Sixers, Maxey averaged 17.4 points per game and shot 43.3% from the three-point line. Uh, one red flag for the Sixers is their transition defense, though. They can't guard anyone in transition. They are terrible at it. Since Harden arrived at the trade deadline, Sixers opponents have shot at 64.9% in transition, the highest field goal percentage allowed during that span. Before the deadline, Philly was allowing just a 55.7% field goal percentage in transition, which was about 20th in the NBA, so about middle of the pack still. Um, but 64.9% is a astronomical mark. That is a lot of, that is a very high uh, field goal percentage, especially in transition. So that will be something that teams will try to exploit. Uh, they also have an issue at backup center. When uh, Joel Embiid inevitably has to come off the court, they've tried using DeAndre Jordan and even Paul Millsap, but both of them have struggled, and it shows um, with the Sixers net rating dropping almost 12 points per 100 possessions uh, when Embiid does go to the bench. They have a 113.0 offensive rating, which is 11th in the NBA, a 110.2 defensive rating, which is 12th in the NBA, and a 2.8 net rating that is 9th in the NBA. Moving on to the Toronto Raptors. They are handled heavily by their starting lineup. The team is led by both Fred Van Vliet, who played in 65 games. He averaged about 20 points per game, four and a half rebounds per game, and about six and a half assists per game, and 1.7 steals per game. And Pascal Siakam, who played in 68 games. He averaged about 23 points per game, uh, eight and a half points, uh, excuse me, rebounds per game, and about five assists per game with 1.3 steals per game. And the lineup of Van Vliet, Siakam, uh, OG Ananobi, um, uh, Scotty Barnes, and Gary Trent Jr. is inside the top 30 in NBA in minutes per game with Van Fleet and Siakam at the top of that list, both averaging 37.9 minutes per game. It's a very Tom Thibodeau way of playing with their starting lineup. They uh, basically play them the entire game. Uh, the drafting of Scotty Barnes, who is their rookie, has also been huge for this team. He has a strong possibility of winning rookie of the year. Probably won't, but he's up there as one of the betting favorites. I think I still think it's going to be Evan Mobley for Cleveland. But uh, if it's not Mobley, it's probably going to be Scotty Barnes after uh, Barnes averaged 15.4 points per game and 7.6 rebounds per game this season and has given Toronto that sort of extra piece that they needed to try and make a deep run into the uh, NBA Finals once again. Uh, The Toronto Raptors come into the playoffs with a 112.1 offensive rating, 15th in the NBA, 109.9 defensive rating, which is 9th in the NBA, and a 2.2 net rating, which is 12th in the NBA. So. That's a breakdown of the teams. Let's talk about the bracket here. Let me, uh, let's take a look at this here. We've got some play-in games that we're still waiting on as of Wednesday. Uh, the Clippers will be taking on the Pelicans or the Spurs, whoever wins that game. But either way, I think the Clippers win that game to go take on the Phoenix Suns. But regardless, I think the Suns win that. Um, the Suns win that to go take on the winner of the Dallas-Utah matchup. I would have gone Dallas before the Doncic news came out, um, but I think I'm going to go Jazz here. The five-seeded Jazz moving on to take on the Phoenix Suns. And then we got the Golden State Warriors taking on the Denver Nuggets. This one's interesting. This one's more interesting than I thought it would be. Um, Golden Golden State's been a little more shaky towards the end of the season than I would like, Um, and Jokic can kind of pick apart anybody depending on, you know, the situation that he is, that he's in. Um, he can pass, he can score, he can shoot, you know, a good rebounder. Um, 
I'm going to go Golden State here, but very tentatively. The Nuggets, Denver Nuggets fans, you guys got a pretty solid draw when it came to the Warriors. Um, just because I think uh, Jokic and the Nuggets as a whole can kind of exploit that team. But I'm going Warriors here slightly. I think that one probably goes six or seven games. So I will go Nuggets in that game. And then Memphis versus Minnesota. Minnesota was celebrating last night. Memphis is the two seed. Minnesota as comes in as the seven seed after winning the playoff game on Tuesday night against the Clippers. And Minnesota was celebrating that game like they had just won the championship after one game. Memphis, I think, is going to win this series. Um, five games, maybe six. I'll give them six. Um, but Memphis is, uh, they play, they do a lot of the same stuff that Minnesota does, but Memphis to me is just a smarter team. Um, I'll go Memphis in that one. So moving on to the East, we have, uh, the East first round. We've got the, looks like Miami taking on the one seed or excuse me, Miami as the one seed taking on the eight seed who will be the loser of. Let me make sure here. I believe it's the Hawks. And yeah, the Hawks and the Hornets. Excuse me. They'll be taking on the, excuse me, not the loser, the winner of um, the Hawks in that Hornets game after they play Cleveland again. So Cleveland, Cleveland versus the winner of Hawks versus Hornets and the winner of that game goes on to take on the Heat. Sorry, it's all very confusing when you're looking at it. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. I don't, you know, playing tournaments are very cool. It's just kind of weird how they do it. But anyways, uh, that's, for a different podcast. Um, uh, I think Cleveland probably wins that matchup and gets into the playoffs. If it's the Hawks though, I would be a little bit worried. The Hawks have the firepower to knock out Cleveland. Um, if they can beat Charlotte in that first play in game. So I'll go Cleveland tentatively in that game. And then they're taking on the heat. I think the heat can kind of shut down either one of those teams. I think the heat wins, uh, either one of those matchups in about in probably five games. I think, uh, either one of those teams, especially in Atlanta, Miami is basically, or excuse me, Atlanta is basically just Miami North. They get a ton of home crowd from uh, from Florida, move, going up to Atlanta, Georgia, to play in the to you know go cheer on the Heat in those games. So it's basically just Miami North. They get a you know basically home field advantage, that entire home court advantage, that entire series if they take on Atlanta. So um, we'll see what happens there. But I think Miami wins the either one of those matchups, probably about five games. Um, moving on to the four five game, I believe Toronto. Bees Philadelphia in that series in six games. There's too much noise coming out of Philadelphia that uh, is cause for concern. Um, there are rumors of Doc Rivers not kind of meshing with the team very well. Doc Rivers being the head coach of the 76ers. There's also rumors that uh, Joel Embiid and, and Harden are not exactly seeing eye to eye when it comes to certain things. And it's not like they're, and it seems like they're not really ready for a playoff run. Um, I'm thinking Toronto here just because of all the noise that's coming out of Philadelphia. I think I'll go Toronto in six games in that matchup. And you know, Toronto, one of the best coach teams in the league with Nick nurse. And I think um, if they get something like that, they will pounce on it and uh, they could take advantage of that sort of noise and move on to the next round. So they'll take on the uh, Miami Heat in the second round in the three versus six game. Milwaukee taking on Chicago. I think I'll go Milwaukee there. That's a very bad matchup for Chicago. They got a tough draw when it comes to the playoffs. The six, As the sixth seed, they get taking on Milwaukee defending champs. Uh, Milwaukee, they got the experience. They got the length. They can probably sweep this series, to be honest with you. Um, they are built for a team that shoots in the mid-range. Um, defensively, they're built to defeat somebody that shoots in the mid-range, and that is what Chicago do, does. They don't shoot three-pointers. They're not good at it. They're not good at um, 
They're, they're very poignant in driving into the lane and shooting mid-range jump shots, and Milwaukee will feast on that, and I think Milwaukee will win that series in a sweep, at the very least, maybe five games. Um, 2-7 matchup, Boston versus Brooklyn. This one is also a, a bit of an oddball. Kyrie going back to Boston in a revenge series, if you will. Um, this one will probably be a lot of fun to watch. I'll go Boston in seven. Um, they'll be missing Robert Williams, the third in this one, a lot. The Time Lord of Boston will be missing him a lot, especially defensively. Um, and if, you know, Kyrie and Kevin Durant can kind of pick that apart, then that'll be a tough series for Boston. But I think Boston wins this in seven. If Time Lord is not back for that second round series against uh, Milwaukee, then I think, um, I think Milwaukee wins that series. So, uh, that's kind of a hint at the next round. The second round for me, uh, Phoenix versus Utah Phoenix in that one. Uh, I think Phoenix Monty Williams, the head coach for Phoenix can do exactly what I was talking about with, uh, Rudy Gogert bear. He can kind of scheme him out of that scheme him out of the series pretty much just entirely with Devin Booker and Chris Paul, just running, you know, countless pick and rolls that you do switch offs for uh, Rudy Gobert onto, you know, Chris Paul or Devin Booker. And I think they could take huge advantage of that. And then using DeAndre Ayton down low against a mismatch, I think they'll be able to do that very easily. I'd have them. Phoenix Suns winning that one in six as well. And then the uh, Warriors versus the Grizzlies. This is a tough matchup for the Grizzlies because you're, you're going up, you know, three-point shooting team like the Warriors, an experienced team with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson. If, and if they're all working together again, if they're all back, the big three is back, then... I'm probably going to go Golden State here um, just for experiences, experience say, you know, that counts for a lot uh, in the NBA playoffs. That is very important. It's it's important to be a smart team and Golden State is a very smart team and uh, they're led by a very solid coach and Steve Kerr. I think I'm going to go the Warriors there. So I have the Suns versus the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals and then in the Eastern Conference, the second round, I've got Miami taking on Toronto. I think Miami can win that one. Um, I think they can win that one. And uh, that one will probably go seven games, in my opinion. Um, that's a tough matchup. And the other thing you gotta, you gotta, you gotta tie into this as well with the series. You know, going two two one 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 in terms of um, home and away. Um, you gotta take into an account who's vaccinated on each team if you're going to Toronto because you're not allowed to play in Toronto. If you are not vaccinated, um, you can't even make the trip into Canada if you're not vaccinated. So that's a very important thing to, to keep an eye on. Um, and it's again, it's not it's only, I think, three games out of this out of a seven game series. But you miss those three games. If it's a seven game series, those are, you know, those are huge losses, depending on who it is. Um, but I'm going Miami here. Uh, we'll see what happens on that front in terms of the vaccination stuff, who misses and who doesn't miss that sort of thing. But um, if they're at full strength, I'll go Miami. So they're in the Eastern Conference Finals for me. And then Milwaukee versus Boston. Again, basically said earlier, if Time Lord Robert Williams III is gone from Boston, I have Milwaukee. I think Giannis will be able to kind of do whatever he wants without Robert Williams kind of holding down the front court, down in the paint, as well as um, Brooke Lopez being back as well. That helps a lot for Milwaukee. So Eastern Conference Finals, I got Miami versus, uh, Miami versus uh, Milwaukee. And then Western Conference Finals, we got Phoenix versus Golden State. We'll start with Western Conference first. Western Conference first, Phoenix versus Golden State. Phoenix, again, I think there is no team better than Phoenix right now. There's not a better team in the NBA, period, than Phoenix. Um, even this Golden State team at full strength, I think Phoenix can beat them. Uh, they're just a perfectly run team. 
uh, great defensively, great offensively. They really don't have a weakness. Um, I'm going Phoenix in this one. I think that one will probably go six or seven. Uh, I'll go six, though, just because I think Phoenix can kind of outlast them a little bit longer and go win on the road in Golden State as well. And then when they have to, they got the team that can kind of do that. So Phoenix back in the finals and then Milwaukee versus Miami. This is boring, folks. This is boring. I'm going Milwaukee beating Miami. Um, the three-seeded Milwaukee Bucks beating Miami in seven games in that matchup. I think Giannis with Brooke Lopez being back, I think they're probably going to be too much for Miami just down low in general. Miami doesn't have the, the thing that Miami fell apart with last year against Milwaukee was the was Bam Adebayo not being able to really step up and jump to that next level um, in the playoffs against Milwaukee. Milwaukee took advantage of that. I don't know if Bam Adebayo has really made that next step. We'll kind of see as the playoffs move along here um, as the big man down low that can kind of guard anything. And then on the offensive offensive side, they can kind of lean on him as well. But we'll see what happens there. I think Milwaukee... Uh, again, experience there too. They have the experience. They're defending NBA champions. And um, I think that will pay dividends in this matchup. And I think Milwaukee moves on to the next round. I think that one goes seven games in Milwaukee versus Phoenix in the NBA finals for a rematch of last year's matchup. But this time I have the Phoenix Suns winning the best team in the NBA all season long. No doubt in my mind. Uh, they're basically playing a revenge tour right now. They're not going to let this one slip away from them. They were up. I think they were up 3-1 last year. They blew a 3-1 lead uh, in the playoffs as well. If I remember correctly, I could be could be just making up a stat there. It could be 3-2 as well, something like that. Um, but then Milwaukee came back and won the series. So I think Phoenix, on the revenge tour, gets the win, gets their NBA title that they've been looking for, and they do it with the head of Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Chris Paul finally gets his first ring as a Phoenix Sun, and... Um, they do it. Phoenix Suns win it. That's just my assumption, though. My prediction. You know, take it with a grain of salt. I don't really know anything. I found stats and stuff. I just put them all together. I'm watching a little bit of basketball, but you know what? Nobody really knows anything. Anybody that tells you they know what they're talking about, they know what's going to happen, is incorrect. Remember that. They're telling you a lie. So, that's my prediction. Phoenix Suns over the Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA Finals this year. Um, I'll go six games in the NBA Finals. I think the Suns will be able to get it done a little bit quicker. And, um, I think they'll be on a mission in the NBA Finals, and they will win the NBA championship. Chris Paul. Shout out Chris Paul. He'll win his first NBA title and finally, finally be validated as the point god. That is going to wrap up the show this week. Thank you very much for tuning in. I have been your host, James Timberlake. You have been listening to the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast. Make sure you uh, you could tune in anywhere you listen to your podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get them get them anywhere make sure you rate and subscribe please it helps the numbers a little bit and uh, we get uh, recommended more on those platforms if you rate and subscribe to those so please make sure you do that if you're listening to it anywhere else um, you can also listen to it on sharedmedia.com as well as podcastwyoming.com that is going to wrap it up thank you all for tuning in like i said i've been your host james timberlake you've been listening to the weekend sports wrap podcast